Over the last five weeks, we have been studying together the, the book of Habakkuk. If you've missed out any of the, um, the sermons, uh, don't worry, we have recorded them and they are on our website. Um, today, Alex was telling me that um, he and his wife in Spain are going through the Habakkuk series and the Bible study, so it's there for you to catch up. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that has a link there as well as a Bible study that you can go through. So today is our sixth, um, second last sermon in this particular um, series. So the subtitle of the series is Trusting God in Troubled Times. And after today, we'll have one more study. But we found in the book of Habakkuk, remember in chapter 1, the burden of Habakkuk. In chapter 2, we saw the, the vision of Habakkuk. And then in chapter 3, is the prayer of Habakkuk that's written in the form of a song, which we will be looking at this morning. Uh, the Habakkuk that we have been familiar with over the, the past few weeks was, um, was a man who was full of questions, asking God, God, what are you doing in this world? Why are you raising up the, the Chaldeans? Why are you picking a more evil people than your own people to judge them and to chastise them? Lord, what are you doing? Questioning God's ways and questioning His works. But here in chapter 3, we have this joy of faith. And Habakkuk has seen what God is doing in his world because God has revealed to him that the just shall live by faith. And so Habakkuk turns and he sings a, a psalm of, of faith that he, in the midst of all of his sorrows, in the midst of all of the degradation and the impending punishment, he sings a song about trust in his God. And that's what we are going to look at this morning. So please do stand with me as we read the portion of Scripture together out of respect for God's Word. We will look at chapter 3 this morning, reading from verse 1 to verse 15. Prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigionoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth, he looked and shook the nations, then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. 
The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this encouraging song that Habakkuk praises you with. We ask, Lord, for understanding, that you'll help us to understand his theology here, help us to understand his, his words that he's written in this poem of how he's declaring your, your goodness, how he has switched his focus from fear to faith. And I'm sure all of us, Lord, need to have this focus today. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would open our eyes, he would open our ears, and he would open our hearts, Lord, to the teaching of your word today. May your spirit please illuminate our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So we live in a very impatient society. We have all been programmed to get whatever we want when we want it. We don't like to wait. So the, the value of the, the process is often lost on us. The Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov made this point about Americans in one of his monologues. Smirnov is the one who always ended his jokes by saying, what a country, what a country. He told the story of when he first visited a supermarket in America. He said he walked down one aisle and he saw milk powder, just add water and you have instant milk. He went on a little further and he saw soup powder. Just add water and you have instant soup. He went even further and he was looking at breakfast powder. Just add water and you have instant breakfast. And finally, as he was walking down the last aisle, he saw baby powder and said, Wow, what a country. <laughs> Although instant everything might be at our fingertips when it comes to our food, it's not usually like that when it comes to our spiritual growth. It certainly was not like that for Habakkuk the prophet. And as we near the end of our study of this Old Testament book, I hope that you've been able to see this process that Habakkuk has had to work through. It's been an exciting process. We've seen changes that have taken place in the life of this prophet. And God has been patient with him. God has been tenderly and lovingly taking Habakkuk from a, a place of fear to a place of faith, where he sings this wonderful psalm to the Lord. And you can see the change in Habakkuk by looking at the change in his prayers, especially here in chapter 3 this morning. And Habakkuk initially responded to the silence of God by questioning God. But now as we come to chapter 3, we find Habakkuk standing in reverence before God, 
singing this wonderful prayer to the Lord. And the book of Proverbs tells us that in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And sincere reverence for God is that necessary starting point in life if you're ever going to respond to life's problems and difficulties properly. In C.S. Lewis's well-known book, The Chronicles of Narnia, maybe you've seen the movie, he tells the story of how four children came into the land of Narnia. In Narnia, all the animals talk, but they are under the, the evil spell of this white witch. And they hear about the lion named Aslan. And Aslan is the Christ figure in Lewis's writings. And when the children first get ready to meet Aslan, they have a conversation with a, with a beaver family about Aslan. And in the conversation, they learn about reverence. And the conversation begins with little Susan asking Mr. Beaver, Who is Aslan? Who is Aslan, says Mr. Beaver. Why don't you know? He is the king. He is the lord of the whole wood. But he's not often here, you understand. But the word has reached us that he has come back. And he'll settle the white witch all right. He'll put all to right, as it says in an old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know he is the king of beasts? Aslan is not just a lion. He is the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. You mustn't press him. Habakkuk had been pressing the king of all kings with his questions that we've seen in chapter 1 and chapter 2. But now all that has come to a stop. And Habakkuk's eyes have now been opened to see that the king is good. He is good. He is the sovereign king of the universe, ruling over all things from his heavenly throne to accomplish his perfect purposes. Even those things in Habakkuk's life that just didn't make sense or he couldn't understand or didn't even seem fair at first sight, now he started to get a grip on. Before this God, Habakkuk now found himself standing in reverence, standing in reverence, praising and worshiping this king of all kings. There was no longer any question of God like before. He had progressed from being intellectually perplexed over his problem to a position far better and above where he was. 
We find instead an attitude of, of reverence for the Lord before God and a submission to God's perfect will. And rather than badgering God with questions, we now find the prophet singing a prayer to God. But the question that we need to ask ourselves, that we are forced to ask ourselves this morning is, since Habakkuk's circumstances have not changed, we know they have not changed, why the dramatic change in his heart from complaining to singing? Something happened. We know this. In between the interval, between the prayer of the first chapter and the prayer of the third chapter, something has definitely changed in Habakkuk's heart. And what has brought about this change? And what can we learn to strengthen our faith in the middle of trying times, in the middle of confusing times, and the trials that we, that we face on a daily basis? And I think the answers are found in this prayer recorded for us here in verse 1 to 15. And here we discover three, three life-changing responses to, to trials, which I think are modeled for us by Habakkuk, which I hope that you will learn this morning. The first lesson, the first thing that we see in verse 1 and 2 is the hope of the prophet, the prophet's hope. The first two verses of this chapter signal the fact that Habakkuk has had a, he's had a serious change in his heart. And the first thing I want us to see this morning from these two verses is that he prayed with hope. He prayed in, in faith. Look what it says there in verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionoth. According to Shigionoth. That's a, that's a strange word. <laughs> we don't see that word very often. Um, in fact, it's only mentioned twice in the, in the whole Bible. It's used again in Psalm chapter 7. Psalm 7 is another Shigionoth psalm. A Shigionoth is used to describe a, a musical setting of, of a psalm. And the whole of chapter 3 is a psalm in itself. And you can see that because three times, um, in verse 3, in verse 9, and in verse 13, the word selah is, is used. And we see that word all over the psalms. It's to indicate a pause, a, a musical pause in between verses. But also this word you can see that from verse 19, the second half of it, and at the very end where it says, look there in verse 19, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. So in other words, this was a, this was a setting. It was a musical setting, a way that the, the psalms that Habakkuk had written, a way that it ought to be played and the way that it ought to have been performed. But what kind of song is it? Well, one comment commentator says that this was an, an, an enthusiastic song, it was a victorious song, it was a triumphal song, and it is a song for the wanderers of God. Remember, they are going to go into exile, and Habakkuk has written a song for them to remember God's goodness, to remember His faithfulness, a song while they are in the wilderness, while they are in captivity. Habakkuk had confidence in the song. And the psalm that we read from verses 1 to 19, the whole of this, this psalm is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of praise, a psalm of assurance toward his God, that he knew what his God was doing in the world. He was sure 
that God was, in fact, in control. And in the middle of his sorrows, Habakkuk turns and he, he sings this wonderful song of faith. Remember his troubles. He was confused. He, he saw the vision of the terrible conquest of Judah, how they would be ripped away from their homeland and taken away as prisoners, never ever to live again in the, the land of Judah. In the middle of his sorrows, in the middle of his fears, he sings the psalm of faith. Habakkuk is now trusting the Lord. He knows that the Lord knows best, and he doesn't. He knows that God is the God of his story, and he isn't. And we see the shift in Habakkuk's mind, in his thinking. The battle that is raging in his heart has started to change in his mind as well. The battle in his mind has shifted focus from his fears to his faithfulness of God. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, in the beginning, he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Habakkuk has taken his mind off of his fears of the coming invasion, and he's focused his attention on the faithfulness of God's character. The faithfulness of God's character. In order to overcome his fears of this coming invasion, Habakkuk has purposely reminded himself of truth. He has purposely reminded himself of what he knows. And we know that he knew that God is a loving God. We know that God had always been faithful to his people. We know that God has always been faithful to his covenant promises to care for his people and to fulfill his purposes through them. We looked at Philippians chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago. Remember that verse? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. The scriptures tell us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, not in some things, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In order to overcome our fears that lead to anxiety, we need to purposefully remind ourselves of what we know about God, of what we know to be true. We need to remind ourselves of what the Scriptures teach us about God and how we can approach Him in prayer. And we are to do it confidently, and we are to do it without doubting God and doubting His character. God doesn't want us coming doubting His, his power. God doesn't want us come, coming to Him in prayer doubting His ability. God doesn't want us to doubt His sovereignty in the world. Remember, I said it before, God is either sovereign of all or He's not sovereign at all. What do your prayers reflect when you pray to the Lord? Do you pray prayers of doubt? Do you pray prayers of, of unbelief? Or do they reflect the sovereign God who is the God of Scripture? John Piper, in his book, Battling Unbelief, he defines anxiety as the loss of confidence, security in God, owing to feelings of uneasiness, 
or foreboding that something harmful is going to happen? Do we allow our feelings to dictate our praise and our prayer and the way that we serve our Lord? And Habakkuk teaches us in these verses how not to lose our confident security in God. And he shows us that we are not to focus on our feelings. The scriptures tell us that our, that our heart is de- desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't trust our heart. We trust what is true and never changes. We trust the truth of Scripture. Habakkuk came to this change and this shifting in his thinking by focusing on truth. And the truth we need to remind ourselves over and over again is that God indeed is sovereign and that He is faithful. If you want to strengthen your faith, First, you need the same hope that Habakkuk had. But secondly, you will also need the prophet's theology. And we see that in verse 3 to verse 7. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Our belief affects our behavior. Our belief affects our behavior. And what do we believe about God? Our theology is important, folks. Our theology is important. What do we believe about God. And these verses may seem hard to understand because it is in a poetic structure, but don't allow that to keep you from seeing the big picture. The big picture. And what we see in these verses is the mighty and awesome display of the power of God and the faithfulness of God as He led His people out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. Habakkuk knew his Bible. Habakkuk went back to Exodus. He reminded himself of how God delivered his people from Pharaoh into the promised land. We read it this morning in in Exodus 15 of God's faithfulness to his people. And Habakkuk uses graphic Hebrew imagery here, which they would have understood to help them to remember God's faithfulness, to look back at God's mighty actions during the exodus. God is described as rising up from the southern mountain ranges of of Teman and Paran to to rescue his people. God is described as a giant striding across the earth, startling the nations, shattering the mountains and collapsing the hills. Nature is described as violently convulsing and crumbling under God's awesome glory and His splendor, and His power. And the thing that sustained Habakkuk in the midst of the fear, in the midst of his trials that gripped him, was the shifting of his focus away from his fears to the proven faithfulness of God. His belief started to change his behavior. He looked at the past and he focused on God's great deliverances. He looked at the scriptures and reminded himself of what God had accomplished and reminded himself of what God had promised. And he found hope in the future. Remember the despair that he was feeling, thinking about these Babylonians destroying the children of Israel. 
and how he could not understand this. But now he finds hope. God keeps his promises to his covenant people. He realizes God wouldn't destroy everybody. He realizes that God would destroy the Babylonians. He realizes that God is just. He realized that God is faithful. He focused his mind on what was true. Remember, folks, Satan walks around like a roaring lion, the scriptures say, seeking those he can devour. He puts doubt in our minds. He puts lies in our hearts. And he redirects our focus on ourselves and on the world around us, on the trials around us, which in the end makes us useless and powerless as soldiers of the cross. We end up depressed without hope and guilty without understanding that there is a Savior who can save us. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 tells us that we have seen the glory of God in the face of Christ. We are called to ministry in the darkness of a, of a Christ-rejecting world. And we are sustained in that ministry by the Christ whose glory we will one day share. We are responsible for the direction of our trajectory, folks. Are we going to sit in a corner and think of all the lies and all the, the shame Or are we going to believe truth and live lives of hope? And the scriptures today admonish us to be people who display God's splendor to the world around us under difficult circumstances. No matter if they're good, especially if they're bad. Are you actively seeking ways to showcase the splendor of your gracious God to the world around you. John Piper, he famously said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And Habakkuk finally has become satisfied with God by shifting his focus on the proven faithfulness of God. What is the trajectory of your life right now? Are you savoring the splendor and the beauty of Christ? Or are you focusing on sin and disappointment and lies? And one commentator I read this week said it well. God created us to glorify himself by enriching us with the joy that flows from a saving encounter with the splendor of his son. And so the goal of our creation was not simply that we might be happy, but happy in beholding God's own eternal excellencies. Not in beholding our own accomplishments, not in the enjoyment of our own sensual appetites, not in the development of a healthy self-esteem or in the acquisition of a four-bedroomed home with a three-car garage. God is the fountain of all joy and bids us come and drink. What is the trajectory of your life at the moment, folks? What is the focus of your mind? To strengthen your faith, you will need a correct theology. Are you washing 
your mind with the water of the Word? Are you brainwashing yourself? Or are you allowing the world to brainwash you with the things of the world? Allow the Scriptures to wash your brain. Allow the Scriptures to strengthen your faith. Your faith. Theology is necessary. The correct theology is necessary. Are you reading your Bible? Are you studying? Are you going to home groups and studying the Word together? Are you gathering for our family Bible hour? Are you gathering every opportunity that you can to study the Bible? Or do you allow the world to wash your mind and fill it with the lies of the devil? To strengthen your faith, you will need a correct theology that focuses on the splendor of Christ. But also thirdly, you will need to remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. We see that in verse 8 to verse 15. In verses 8 to 15, Habakkuk describes God as a divine warrior who has exercised judgment on behalf of his people. In verse 8, referred to his parting of the Red Sea and, and later the, the Jordan River. Look at verse 11, referred to the miraculous victory God gave Joshua over his, his enemies, the Amorites which was recorded in Joshua chapter 10, when God caused the sun to stand still. And in verse 12, look there, we see God triumphed over the nations. He brought judgment upon them. While at the same time, look at verse 13, He was saving His people. And God triumphed over men and nature. And surely we, we need to assume if God did all of this for His people in the past, He will do the same for His people in Habakkuk's day and our day. Fierce and powerful though the, the Babylonians might be, God would first use them and then He would judge them in His good time. And as a believer in Christ, we are, are meant to follow this, this example during times of adversity. We are to remember that the Lord is the one who fights the battles, not us. The Lord is the one who has victory, not us. The Lord is the conqueror, not us. We are meant to find hope for our future in light of God's faithfulness to us in history, in what He has already accomplished in the past. We are meant to look back not only at God's great works of deliverance for Judah, but also to the way God has always been faithful to care for His people since then, including His care for us today. And today, you have even more to look back on than Habakkuk. You can now look back not only at the things that God did for, for Judah, but you can also look back and see how He has faithfully provided for you a Redeemer. Habakkuk didn't have that. We do, folks. We have a mighty deliverer through the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has proven himself over and over again in the lives of his children and in your life as well to be a faithful God. And although God's faithfulness is a, is a relatively easy concept to understand, I think Academically, the truth is that when it 
it comes to applying it to, a, to our lives personally and experientially, it's, it's a different thing, isn't it? It can become very difficult. And one reason so, so many of us find God's faithfulness towards us so difficult to grasp is because we've all experienced the pain of, of a lot of human unfaithfulness, haven't we? And you know what it's, you know what it's like to trust someone for, for something and, and then to have them let you down? And someone once said to you, you're my, you're my one and only. And then you discovered that he or she was, was seeing someone else. Maybe your parents promised to show up at a program at school, but they, but they forgot about it or they were too busy. Or maybe you trusted your boss for a, for a raise that, that never came. And you trusted a friend with a, with a secret that they didn't keep. With each act of, of unfaithfulness towards you, you have subconsciously withdrawn into your own little world and developed strategies whereby you trust nobody including God. And today I want you to realize that no matter what you may be facing, and no matter how many people may have failed you in the past, God keeps His covenants. God will never fail His children. God will never let His children down. He will always fulfill His promises to them. And these mighty acts of God recorded in this text are, are meant to show you that God is able to save you who look to Him in faith, who trust in His Son, Jesus. God has bound Himself in a, in a solemn covenant to you in His Son, Jesus Christ, never to abandon you and always to provide for your real and deepest needs. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul wrote, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And yet I know that some of you today are facing problems that look outwardly like God has, has let you down. And it's very hard to believe that God is being faithful to his promises and you are fearful for the future. And you really doubt God's faithfulness, even though you know that you, you shouldn't. And you feel guilty about your, your doubts. And let me share with you an encouraging word about your doubts. When doubts about God's faithfulness begin to flood your soul, don't despair. Don't get down on yourself because you doubt God. I think there's a difference between the sin of unbelief and the difficulty of, of doubt. Jesus always made a point to distinguish between doubt and, and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe, whereas unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honest. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. Don't be content with darkness. Don't be content with the lies of the devil. During those fearful times of darkness, remember Habakkuk. Take your eyes off all your future fears and look back and reflect upon the faithfulness 
of God to you in the past. Learn to rest in the truth that God, who has always been faithful to you in the past, has bound himself in a covenant always to be faithful to you in the future. And in so doing, you will find God transforming your fears into faith. Remember the prophet's hope, remember the prophet's theology, and remember the Lord's battle. Let me finish here with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the times of darkness, remember the Lord. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for Habakkuk. Thank you, Lord, for this process that has been recorded for us to learn from. And thank you, Lord, for this man, this very honest record of a man who went from doubt to faith, who went from fear to faith. And Lord, we pray that we would respond in ways that honor you, not in ways that glorify the devil and sin, that we would flee from that, and that we would pursue you, that we would long after you as the deer pants for the water. May our souls long after you, Lord. May we fill our minds with truth that we would live lives of joy and live lives of victory that would reflect the splendor of our faithful, covenant-keeping God. And may the world look at us and see a difference. And may we tell them about Jesus, the one who gives us joy, the one who is faithful, the one who has won the battle. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 